When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, for the past four weeks of August, we reflected on artists who are no longer with us. Our fifth and final episode is here, and together with my co-host and producer of this show, Chris Fafalius, we thought it would be fun to break down George Michael's number one hit single, Faith, taken from his 1987 debut album of the same name. George's solo career began hot off the success and demise of his former band Wham, and man, did he deliver a smash. So stick around and have a little faith. This is a good one. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hey, everyone. It's the fifth and final week here in the month of August of reflecting on artists who are no longer with us. And Chris and I decided this week we'd have a little fun and, and pick someone uh, that, that we wanted to cover outside of the suggestions from the Facebook group, which, by the way, thanks to everybody who participated in this. It's been tremendous fun. I can't believe that no one suggested George Michael in the group. <laughs> and I've always been a fan of George Michael's songs, but it wasn't until preparing for this episode that I dove deep into his story and his career, and I came out of it such more of a fan than I already was of his music. I'm also a fan of the person, George Michael, a lot more after this. His story was inspiring and crazy, I thought. Yeah, I was not a fan in the 80s. I mean, Wham! was about as big as it could get for a pop act. By the mm -hmm. time they had come out, I was deep into heavy metal, and if it wasn't heavy with loud guitars, I wasn't listening to it. Uh, kind of skipped over Wham! Of course, now I, I hear those songs on, on classic radio or, or wherever, you know, Freedom and Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go and Careless Whisper and all that, and, and, and I love them. And same thing goes for George. He was... Uh, such a pioneer, and what an amazing singer. There were also some things that I saw, some ties. I felt uh, a little bit of, you know, maybe maybe George is our distant cousin, because did you know that he was a Greek guy? Yes. I had no, I had no idea. His actual name was Yorgos. <laughs> Yorgos <laughs> Kyriokos Panioto. His dad was Greek. But uh, it was very interesting learning that at a very young age, George was a very shy and introverted kid, and it wasn't until he met his Wham! counterpart, Andrew. They were friends from the time they were little kids, and Andrew was an outgoing like football player and very confident guy. It was a big part of Andrew's influence on George that helped George become what he was. That's right. And uh, unbeknownst to me, you let me know this, Chris, that uh, their first band was not Wham. Andrew and George's first band was The Executive, a ska band that self-admittedly George has said, and he's gone on record saying they were absolutely terrible, but that's how they got their start. I had no master plan. I didn't know if I was going to be a singer or anything, but at school I met Andrew. And we formed this ska band called The Executive. And we were terrible, basically. But Andrew and I had already developed an act for writing these catchy little songs. Well, yes, the executive was pre-Wham, and they were a two-tone ska band, and they, I guess, <laughs> apparently tried to make a two-tone version of Beethoven's Fur Elise <laughs> at some point, which I, I thought was pretty funny. But it's really interesting to me, Chris, when Andrew and George, when they were writing their first songs, when they were just teenagers... George brought Careless Whisper to the table. Screen, 
And at some point in Wham's career, as things started taking off, Andrew was just fine with George writing the songs. Andrew was like, yeah, I'm just enjoying myself out here. I'm, I'm performing. You know, you could write the songs. That's fine. He was totally cool with it. And Wham went on to sell 28 million albums, which is insane. I know. It's absolutely incredible. And they only had two records. They had a record called Fantastic, their first album, and of course, Make It Big, which was huge for them. It had the original version of Freedom on it, uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go, Go, Careless Whisper. And, you know, the the writing was kind of on the wall at that point. I don't know if it was the behind the scenes, the label people, the managers, but they were all kind of, I think, by that point, grooming George. You know, the Careless Whisper single, uh, when it was first released, it was credited to Wham, but then uh, subsequent uh, releases as, as the song started gaining traction and popularity uh, were credited to Wham featuring George Michael. So they were already starting to groom him uh, to be uh, the solo superstar that he became. Yeah. And what's so cool about this story, man, and I just the whole time I'm like, oh, my God, Andrew Ridgely is amazing. He was so supportive of George through all of this. Their breakup was amicable. Dude, they played their last show at Wembley in front of 72,000 people while they had the number one record. Yeah. You know, like they just went out on top. That final concert was an eight hour event. Dude, before that happened, George and Andrew were part of Do They Know It's Christmas? Yes. Which is funny because Andrew showed up to the recording late. <laughs> he would just he would just party and he was having a blast. And George kind of felt snubbed in certain ways by Do They Know It's Christmas? So Wham! ended up releasing Last Christmas at the same time. So at that time, Do They Know It's Christmas was the number one song, but Last Christmas was the number two song. So George was involved in both the number one and number two song at that time. That's awesome. And, and you know, not to diminish uh, Andrew Ridgely's part in this whole thing, uh, he did have some songwriting credits on the on the Wham! stuff. I don't know if that was George being generous or uh, he does have a co-write uh, on, on Careless Whisper. And, you know, he just really didn't have to do anything after Wham! He, he, he made a lot of money. He released an ill-fated solo album in 1990 and since 1991 uh, from what i saw in research he's pretty much uh, laid low in, in, in the spotlight but faith is from george's 1987 debut which is also called faith there were seven songs chris released as singles from this album faith was the second one released on october 12th of 87 the first one was i want your sex followed by faith hard day Father Figure, awesome song. One More Try, Monkey, and Kissing a Fool. You, you don't get uh, seven songs released as singles from albums these days, Chris. Dude, the reviews of this album, like Rolling Stone said about this album, it's almost too good. It was a debut album, but it was like a greatest hits. Mm -hmm. There were so many singles on here. And one more thing, Chris, before we move away from Andrew Ridgely here. He got dogged a lot because there, people would say that George was the talent. You know, he'd get made fun of a lot. But George gave Andrew full credit as the driving force for Wham! And a driving force, in, like I said, in George's own confidence in himself. And at this time when Wham! had broken up and George was about to embark on a solo career, he went through a lot of depression. He was dealing with a lot of things. And Andrew came out to visit George. I guess he was in L.A. at this time. And Andrew told George, there's one thing you need to do. You need to lay your claim as the greatest singer-songwriter of your generation. He was George's hype man the whole time. And I just, I think it's such a great story of friendship here. It is. And and all egos aside and everything. I mean, think of the superstardom that George went on to. And there there was his friend on the sidelines still supporting him up until his death. Uh, had a wonderful tribute that Andrew put out online when, when George passed away. And, uh, you know, he, he loved him all those years. There was no there was no animosity or ego, which is which is very commendable uh, on his part. You know, the making of this song, it was said, I've I read a bunch that, you know, George wanted this to, to be of kind of dry 
in-your-face kind of production, very you know personal with with this vocal. Uh, the only other person that was kind of doing that in the '80s was Prince on some of his stuff. You didn't really see that. Everything was bathed in reverb and you know tons of loud keyboards. And this song was very different. I remember when I first heard it, thinking, "Wow, nothing else sounds like this on on the radio at the time, and nothing sounds like it today." I absolutely know that Prince was a huge influence at this time on what he was going for. And Chris, something I do want to mention is when George was young, two of his main influences, one we just talked about, Freddie Mercury and Elton John was another huge influence on George, which, you know, you hear that you hear those influences in his music and we'll we'll get to that. Right. And had you had you uh, heard or seen that tribute of somebody to love with Queen that George did, you, you had never seen that, right? Because you sent me the video earlier. Yeah, I sent Chris earlier today. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This was later. This was 1992. But at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert at Wembley, uh, George Michael sang Somebody to Love with Queen. And it is unbelievable. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. Yeah, and I was I was aging myself with you earlier saying that I, I saw that live as it happened on MTV. It was it was a moment. And uh, by all accounts, George stole the show with that performance. It's incredible. If you haven't seen it, everybody listening, go check it out. It's it's pretty awesome. And you know, I, I don't hear him a lot, Chris. And and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't hear George heralded as like one of the most amazing singers from that generation, but I truly think he is. This past couple days of diving into George Michael, I'm like, how have I not considered him more of an icon i know he's an icon but i he was always just a guy like yeah i like some of his songs but dude in the 80s madonna had seven number one hits michael jackson had nine george michael had eight i know like he's right up there as one of the biggest artists of the 80s it's incredible and uh, hey gotta give a nod to the to the united kingdom right now uh three out of five of our artists that are no longer with us were from the uk we had amy winehouse we had freddie mercury and now we're doing george michael so that's that's pretty cool and chris i gotta say one more thing just so i don't forget it later (laughs) i feel like kind of skipping around here but in 2007 way later in george michael's life he was on TV and said that Amy Winehouse was the greatest female vocalist of his life. Wow. And he made a plea to her, like, you are such a talent. Please get the help you need on TV. And uh, so, you know, later on, you know, people were saying that same thing to George Michael, you know, but he recognized that as well. So these three artists from the UK that we're talking about, they all tie into each other. Right. You know? They're all icons and before we jump into the track i have to say i agree with you i have become a bigger fan of george michael in the last two or three days researching for this and listening and driving around in my car this morning <laughs> listening yeah. to george michael which my 15 year old self would have would have uh, would have laughed at me but uh again i was young i missed out on an incredible artist and uh, i'm getting to to enjoy him now in in my elder years which i i never ever imagine uh this song's really interesting chris there, there's no fat on this thing at all the only fat you could consider it is is maybe the organ intro which is 37 seconds of a three minute and 16 second song So really, this song is only about two minutes and 40 seconds. And the organ intro is freedom, right? Absolutely. I was going (laughs) to ask you if you knew what that was. Yes, it, 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 it is freedom. Yep.
That's so cool to reference your earlier work in your later work. It's, that is so cool. It's kind of cocky, but awesome, right? Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take an earlier hit, and that's going to be my organ intro on a song completely unrelated, and it's somehow going to work. Uh, it's amazing. It's so cool. It is awesome. That organ intro, that church organ fades in. It's 37 seconds playing the melody of Freedom by Wham. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time? You're a giant Wham fan, and you hear that organ intro, and you're like, oh my God, this is incredible. I, I'm just trying to put myself in as a Wham fan hearing this for the first time. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people had that same exact thought for sure. So yeah, after the intro, uh, it's an acoustic guitar by itself for four bars. Then the bass and vocals are joined by a hi-hat overdub, which is panned off right, and a side stick on the snare drum. Uh, this is a Lynn drum machine, which Chris, this was... Uh, programmed the drum machine, the percussion, and the vocals were all done by George. And of course, he wrote the whole composition, which, <laughs> again, amazing. arranged and produced by George Michael. Hey, it's claimed that the idea for this came from publisher Dick Leahy's suggestion that Michael write a rock and roll pastiche. Now, I didn't know what a pastiche was. I had heard that before, but basically it means an artistic work that imitates the style of another work, artist, or period. So he came in with this idea of like, oh, I'm going to create this like classic rock and roll sounding thing you know yeah and even his uh, style of dress in the video he's just kind of wearing levi's jeans and a, a plain white shirt with a leather jacket it was a complete throwback iconic that's like such a look that's a halloween costume now in addition to what's going on there with the, with the drums and the bass and the vocals on this first verse uh the <laughs> it can't be understated the bass groove here is killer dion estes is the bassist was the bassist he passed away uh last year at the age of 65 but dion estes was the bassist for wham and he played on george's first two records and as a bass player you got to appreciate this bass groove dude hell yeah <laughs> I, you know what? After we finish recording this, I'm going to learn it and I'm going to go, I have band practice today. I'm going to play it. That's what I'm going to like plug in my bass and play it. It's <laughs> awesome. The bass groove in, in verse one is awesome, but then it gets even crazier in, in the pre-chorus and we'll get to that in a second, but I'm going to read the lyrics to verse one here, Chris, and, and we're going to talk about them. Well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a body like you, but I got to think twice before I give my heart away. And I know all the games you play because I played them too. I got to point out the first two lines, you get body with everybody and body right after that three times. And that in and of itself is, is a hook that I don't know how many people could get away with that. <laughs> well, I think it's awesome. And Chris, we got to talk about, it's almost like the music video for this song is like part of the song. I see the music video in my head when I hear it and his body is such a part of that music video, you know, right off the bat, it's like, this is my body. <laughs> you know, he was a sex symbol, no doubt. But what I think is interesting here, Chris, and this kind of ties into the first single from the album, I Want Your Sex, is that I feel like these lyrics, at the same time that they're sexy, he's also saying, I got to think twice before I give my heart away. And what was interesting about I Want Your Sex is everyone was like up in arms. Casey Kasem wouldn't even say the name of the song. He would just call it <laughs> George Michael's new single. And, you know, people were, you know, it was controversial. But that song was actually about monogamy. Uh -huh. And just like Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA, people thought it was a patriotic song, but it was, all, but we all know that that was kind of not a patriotic song at all. So in that same vein, I feel like you think this song is totally about sex, but he's also singing about giving his heart away. 
that it's more about love than it is just about sex and the body and stuff, right? Right. And for those of you who aren't part of our supporting cast, our VIP program, where you get extra bonus episodes, last week we talked about I Want Your Sex, which it was actually Mm -hmm. the radio edit was I Want Your Love. This was 1987. You couldn't say sex in a song, which is just almost unfathomable. Which is funny because the second line of that song is I Want Your Love. It says (laughs) I Want Your Sex, I Want Your Love. But it's so funny because the song is about it's promoting safe sex it's promoting monogamy but because of the word sex like it's outlandish but once again i think that george's message isn't one of like promiscuity here Mm -hmm. well the last line here is and i know all the games you play because i played them too and that leads into pre-chorus one The snare drum joins here on that Lynn drum machine. The vocals are doubled here, and we get some finger snaps that come in on this pre-chorus. Uh, I just love how this song builds. The lyric is, oh, but I need some time off from that emotion. Time to pick my heart up off the floor. Oh, when the love comes down without devotion, well, it takes a strong man, baby, but I'm showing you the door. Yeah, I mean, who can't relate to that? If you've had your heart broken, you need some time and maybe you need to find that new love. You know, we've all been in that transition period. That's what I take away from this. Yeah, and I think that he's fully relating to this because of the last line in verse one. I'll read it again. And I know all the games you play because I played them too. <laughs> so right. he's hurting, but he's 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 also understanding of, of what the game's going on here. Yeah. If somebody's not devoted to you, you can't give your heart to them like if if you're not if you're not in it as much as I am I'm going to show you the door I feel like that's such a good message that people need to hear if it's not a equal give and take relationship you got to show them the door George is telling you the truth here Hey everyone don't go anywhere we got lots more to talk about with Faith after a few words from our sponsors Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! And now, back to our conversation on George Michael's faith. Zone on this bass part from the pre-chorus because <laughs> it's wilder and even more imaginative than the verse. I, I love where it goes here. And uh, you got to learn it, Chris. You got to learn it. Uh, <laughs> I'm absolutely going to. <laughs> on the last line here in the pre-chorus, but I'm showing you the door. The band stops. And then we get into chorus one. Cause I gotta have faith. Chris, I'm surprised you haven't talked about the guitar yet. The I feel like the guitar is one of the most memorable things of this song too. That's it starts with that guitar. I've seen people say a lot that it's a Bo Diddley style acoustic rhythm guitar part. Don't 
Right. I'm glad you brought that up because I only touched on that uh, at the very top when I said the acoustic guitar is by itself for four bars. It's very staccato the way this is played, you know, mm-hmm. and it's got just a, a distinct rhythm, uh, which I'm going to go out and say that that's the I've, I've used this term before. That's the heartbeat. That's the pulse of this song is that guitar. Everything that goes around it, if it wasn't for that guitar, it would not have that feel. Yeah, because that guitar, just as much as the chords of the song, it's the rhythm of that guitar. If you picked up a guitar and started playing that right now, Chris, I would know what song it was within half a second right you know it's so recognizable and and that's a great point because i think there's so many elements that make this song so unique and again there was nothing that sounded like this in 1987 absolutely nothing on the radio there was no artist that i could pick out and say from from a production standpoint a writing standpoint uh to how the instruments were executed it, it was really really original chorus one uh the hand claps replace the snare drum it kind of bows down a little bit here in the chorus it doesn't really get bigger um and it's back to what sounds like one vocal here chris there's no harmonies on chorus one the lyric is because i gotta have faith i gotta have faith because i gotta have faith 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 i gotta have faith 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 uh and the music stops there for just a second before we get into verse two and talk about a simple lyric doesn't get much more simple than this you know the album is also called faith and this was his solo debut and just as much as I think this, I think the song is kind of a double entendre. And I didn't read this anywhere. This is just what I'm taking away from it, knowing George Michael's story more now, and also what it feels like the song is supposed to be about. It seems like, yeah, it's about being faithful to your partner in one way. But I think the other part is having faith at this point, George Michael having faith in himself. You know, it's kind of like that Andrew Ridgely psyching him up i kind of feel like at that moment (laughs) you know in if i was making the fictionalized uh biopic by the way chris it is biopic it's not biopic Ah. it's biopic that's a uh inside thing between me and chris we were talking about uh how to pronounce that word but if i were making it it would be andrew ridgely giving him this speech to psych him up and saying like you gotta have faith man and george going yeah <laughs> faith yeah and i feel like that's that's what it is do you agree I, I do and i also that's why i love lyrics that are that are i'm going to use the word again that are kind of simple they're open to interpretation i kind of always yeah. took this because i got to have faith he he's kind of like preaching to his listeners his audience you know that uh, we all got to have faith i got to have faith you have to have faith and it, uh i don't know it's that, that that in and of itself is uplifting yeah i mean you could take away anything from that i once again i think the song is trying to make it seem like it's about like being faithful to the other person or something but i think it's a way bigger meaning you got to have faith and belief in yourself Mm -hmm. i think that's what i take away from it verse two i love it because everything stays the same from verse one instrumentation wise the guitar is still doing that awesome staccato rhythm the only thing that's introduced here chris and it's loud in the mix but wow, does it keep this part moving. There's a tambourine that comes in, and it's great. Baby, I know you're asking me to stay. Say, please, please, please don't go away. You say I'm giving you the blues. Maybe you mean every word you say. I can't help but think of yesterday. And another who tied me down to love a boy rule. The tambourine or a shaker can be a hook in itself, man. It just takes it takes a song to another level, and you as a listener might not even know why, but it adds so much. Right, and I had read when researching this that George did not intend for this to be a single. He just had, had written it, and it's kind of one of those songs that like it was it was different from everything else in the record. And yeah, this isn't a single. It's 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 just it's just the oddball song, and and it's a, it's amazing that how many times we've heard that. Where ah, this is just another song, but it ends up being the smash of the record. I read that it was supposed to be like an interlude on the album, like it wasn't even supposed to be like a full song. And that goes once again. You said take out the organ intro, and the song's two minutes and forty seconds long. So yeah, that's a really short song. Yeah, and. Is, you know, as far as pop songs go, pop songs in the 80s, you know, typically between three and four minutes. So two minutes and 40 seconds. And I'm sure there were stations out there. I can't remember, but I'm sure there were stations that omitted the organ intro. They just started with that guitar. Right. I mean, it, it, it makes sense. But, uh, dude, as we move on, I'll let you read this next verse. But as we go on, I think every 
verse to me still makes sense of that double entendre where it sounds like it's about one thing, but it's actually about what he's going through himself. For sure. Let's get into verse two. Baby, I know you're asking me to stay. Say, please, please, please don't go away. You say I'm giving you the blues. Maybe. Huh. You mean every word you say. Can't help but think of yesterday. And another who tied me down to lover boy rules. Hmm. I got to tell you, man, I take from this baby being the fans. They're asking me to stay. They're saying, please don't go away. Wham's breaking up. I'm giving them the blues because they sold 28 million. Dude, they had the number one album when they broke up. They were they they had legions of fans. And and then the next part, maybe you mean every word you say, can't help but think of yesterday and another who tied me down to lover boy rules. What I take away from that is with the lover boy rules, and I could be wrong on this, but I take away that people had this idea of George Michael as this sex symbol singing, wake me up before you go, go and doing little dances and stuff. But now he's going out on his own. He's writing songs that mean more to him. And this might sound like a little pop song, but I think there's a lot deeper meaning to this. And before we move on, Chris, well, first of all, I couldn't agree more with what you just said, but before we move on, I have to say, (laughs) think of how confident, absolutely confident his team behind him had to be that, that followed him from Wham! into his solo career. Chris, you just said it. They sold 28 million records. They were arguably one of the biggest bands, if not the biggest band for a moment on planet Earth. And they're going to take a chance to go out because, as we know, you know, I don't care how big the star is. We've seen it time and time again. They go outside of their band and, and they don't they don't sell any records. The, the, the tour stiffs and they go back. They go back to their band. They had to have such a high belief in George Michael that this was going to be a success to walk away from that. And Chris, wouldn't you say that their belief in him was absolutely a million percent warranted considering Wham broke up in 1986 and this album came out in 1987 and in between there George had a a period where he was depressed and didn't know what to do and somewhere in there wrote and recorded this album that came out later in 1987 that was just basically a greatest hits seven huge singles you almost wonder if anything was left over from Wham if he wrote anything when he was you know I wonder right yeah I'm not sure but uh, I'm sure Andrew Ridgely would have been like dude do it (laughs) you know yeah um and yeah, at the end of verse two, uh, right on tied me down to lover boy rules. There's a double vocal that's panned off left there. Just these little production tricks. And it's just, it's so cool. And without that, it wouldn't be the same. But really, besides that and the tambourine, verse two is, is, is pretty much like verse one. But those two little things set it so far apart and make it its own thing. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, man, absolutely. So yeah, let's jump into pre-chorus two here, which talk about a song that keeps growing. And it's not, not huge things. They're, they're kind of subtle here, but just perfect. Before this river becomes an ocean, before you throw my heart back on the floor, oh baby, I reconsider my foolish notion. Well, I need someone to hold me, but I'll wait for something more. So we don't get the same lyric here as as pre-chorus one and... Yeah, let's uh, let's break this one down. What do you got, Chris? Yeah, I would take from this, if you're looking at it as a love song, before I'm all into this relationship, before I put my heart, you know, at risk of being broken again, I need proof from the other person before I reconsider this being a foolish notion. But once again, if I'm looking deeper into this as a song that George is writing about his experience, I don't know. This one's a little bit harder to decipher for my theory of what this song is about. (laughs) So before he goes 100% into this solo career, before he puts his, his heart on the line for putting himself out there to the world, 
I don't know what he's saying here. Actually. Yeah, I don't know because everything that you had mentioned earlier uh, held a lot of water. But you look at the third line in pre-chorus to "Oh baby, I reconsider my foolish notion." So, so is he is he is he wondering maybe this was the wrong decision to to fly solo outside of Wham? And I, I don't know, but I'll tell you the first line here. There's a harmony, and on I reconsider my foolish notion, and the harmonies here are killer. Uh, right at the part where it says my heart back on the floor on the second line of pre-chorus two. Do you notice the Tom overdubs that come in here from that Lynn drum machine? Right. <laughs> just for like, oh, yeah. just for like two or three seconds. But again, those, just those little elements. And at the very end of pre-chorus two, the band stops and we get into chorus number two. Yes, I gotta have those stops man that is such a pop music trick too you know like you have that that stop that takes you into the chorus it's so catchy chris could i be so way off on trying to interpret this as something more than it is is there a chance that if george michael was listening to this right now he'd be like this guy's an idiot. This was just a song I wrote that was supposed to be just a catchy thing. It doesn't mean anything well, like that. I think that's the beauty of what we're doing here. And, you know, we kind of went out uh, on a limb here with these five episodes, Chris, because it's just you and I breaking these down. Yes, we, <laughs> we've read some stuff online, but, you know, who, who knows what's true out there in Internet land? We've talked about that many times. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's why music's so awesome and songwriting uh, and interpreting lyrics is so awesome because we can all take our own thing away from it. Chorus 2, Yes, I Gotta Have Faith. Faith. Ooh, I gotta have faith. Because I gotta have faith, faith, faith. I gotta have faith, faith, faith. On the second line, I gotta have faith. Harmony panned off left pretty hard. It's awesome. Harmony on faith, faith, faith. And the third line panned off left. And the last three faith, faith, faiths here on the last line, of course, to harmonies and a double lead vocal there on that last line. Just tasty. I gotta have faith, faith, faith. Hey, Chris, can I bring up something about this song that I think is really interesting about the recording of it, which kind of kind of relates to, to so much we're talking about? Did you know that George wrote the lyrics for this in front of a microphone and he would build the lead vocal by singing line by line? And each time he'd have the engineer, Chris Porter, rewind the tape so he could drop in to create the right emotional effect with his voice on each line. And just like you said, Prince, he wanted this song to be very dry and in your face like Prince's songs were at the time. So there was a very tight delay on the vocals that made it sound real growly and dry and aggressive. And uh, I think that's such a cool way to write a song is just like, nope, let's do that line again. Let's do that line again. So maybe me looking deep into these vocals is a little bit of a stretch because he's kind of writing them on the spot. But at the same time, he might have a lot of these thoughts in his head that are coming out subconscious. So I, I could be right. Well, I, and I'll tell you, you want to talk about the difficulty in what you just laid out. Okay, this was all done back to tape. They were punching in, which the engineer would right. be there and he would, he would actually hit record of the tape, punch the part, and then stop record so it wouldn't record over the, over the next vocal. Well... The difficulty in that, and I, I can even relate to that now in a digital world, when I'm going to do vocals, I'll do like a verse and I'll go back and pick what's good from that. I don't go in and punch one or two lines or one or two words because when you do that, I can hear it. Mm -hmm. I can hear that I'm not evoking the same emotion. I'm, I'm not pushing as hard as I was on that last performance. The fact that he skeletoned uh, this vocal like that is is incredible. If that if that's true, that's incredible. That's what I read about it, which I thought was impressive. That's pretty awesome. Well, we get a 16-bar 50s rock and roll guitar solo. It's super classy. It's panned both right and left, kind of comes in and out. <laughs> And 
the guitars on this song, uh, including the lead guitar parts, were played by Hugh Burns, who was a Scottish guitarist heard on many famous recordings, including Jerry Rafferty's Baker Street and Wham's Careless Whisper. I did not know that. Yeah. And he rips it up. Yeah, no, it, it's great. And and this solo is is kind of like a bridge here, Chris. We get the lyric uh, with no harmonies here, but it's, I'll just have to wait because I've got to have faith. I got to have faith. I've got to, got to, got to have faith before we uh, come back to a third pre-chorus, which goes to show you, we've talked about this on the show. You know, pre-choruses usually happen twice. When they happen a third time in the song, that means you got something special. That the, the pre-chorus yeah. is is one of the main components in the main hooks of the song. This is one of those songs where everything is like a chorus to me. Yes. There's not a line in this song that isn't a sing-along, that isn't, that isn't the catchiest thing ever. Part of it being such a, a short song, which even part, you know, part of this extremely short song is a, is a 30-some second organ intro, and part of it's a guitar solo, and the rest of it is just all hooks, 100%. Yeah, that that's f- exactly. It's it's full of hooks except for those two parts that you mentioned, which both of those are hooks in in and of themselves. Pre-chorus three, the lyric is pretty much the same as pre-chorus two. I'm gonna read it again. Before this river becomes an ocean, before you throw my heart back on the floor, and there's a backing vocal that says, "I just gotta have faith." After that line, oh oh baby, I reconsider my foolish notion. Well, I need someone to hold me. But I'll wait for something more. You get the harmony again on line one. You also get a harmony on line two that was not there on pre-chorus two. The I just got to have faith, the backing vocal there, it's it's kind of low and growly. It's a different tone. You get a harmony on I reconsider my foolish notion. No harmony on the last line, but... There's three bars after that last line, three bars of silence here. And right before the last chorus picks up, you hear George take a breath. You know, a lot of times now when we're editing vocals with digital, with Pro Tools, with Logic, whatever you're using, you'll go in and cut those breaths out. You Remember Huey Lewis talking about that on, on the episode we had with him? He's like, you know, it becomes stale. You want to hear that human emotion. And that little breath George takes before chorus three to set it up is, is, is so cool. And again, there's three bars of another another like three, three or four seconds of silence there uh, already with the guitar solo and the organ. So we're, we're down to two minutes and 30 seconds of song here. Well, Chris, didn't we have conversations on past episodes too about how radio hated silence yeah like that was such a no-no right but it kind of sounds like george could do whatever he wanted no i i (laughs) I definitely think so also on pre-chorus three chris that guitar is soloing hugh burns is soloing uh kind of mimicking what he was doing uh in the guitar solo of the song it's sporadically throughout uh uh, pre-chorus three continuing from that bridge solo which which i think that's cool that uh, those elements are there and then we get into the last chorus which is not a double chorus it's just another chorus here. Same lyrics. Uh, the second line, you get those harmonies panned off left. The third line on the faith, 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 they're panned off left super hard. And the last line, faith, 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 on that last line, you not only get the harmony, but you get the double lead vocal that comes back to abruptly end the song. It's it's awesome. Hey, everybody, we got to take a quick break for a few words from our sponsors and our Band You Might Not Know segment. But after that, we got some more to talk about with George Michael's faith, so don't go anywhere. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. As we 
end of the show. Here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Buddy Schaub. Yes, the same Buddy Schaub that plays trombone in Less Than Jake. This is his ongoing instrumental project called Black Ice. Buddy has a really interesting way of going about recording his Black Ice songs. He'll lay down 10 or so drum tracks, not knowing what the rest of the instrumentation will be later on when he sits down to revisit those tracks, sometimes days, weeks, months, or even years later, to record the rest of the instrumentation. It keeps the project spontaneous and fun. His first full-length, Black Ice Volume 1, is out now. You can find it at buddyshob.bigcartel.com. Here's a snippet of his song, Albatross Perot. I think I'm having a little bit of a Mandela effect with this song. I always remembered there being a line where he said, I know not everybody has got a body like me. Why do I think that? <laughs> I know everybody has a body like me. Hmm. I don't know. I thought I always thought Did you it... ever think he said that? Um, no. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> I wonder if there was a radio editor, some other some other uh, uh, edit of this song, remix of this song that, that, that was oh, put. Oh, Chris. Maybe, maybe they do it in the, should we mention it? <laughs> they might, they might do it in, in the thing that shall not be named in this episode. Well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a body like me, but I got to think twice. Oh my, I didn't even think about that. Maybe that's why I have this false memory is, okay, we got to talk about that for a split second. It was then 12, I don't know, I guess it was only 10 years later. I think that was like 97 yeah, yeah. that the Limp Biscuit version came out. And Chris, we got to talk about that for a minute because that was the first thing to put Limp Biscuit on the map. Mm -hmm. Where did I see Limp Biscuit for the first time? Where do you think it was? Warp Tour. It absolutely was at Warped yeah. Tour. I didn't know that they weren't cool. And I was a 17, 16 or 17-year-old 17 impressionable kid. So I blame the organizers of Warped Tour for, <laughs> for making me think Limp Bizkit was cool for a second. But that first album, there, there were songs that I liked on it. Still things that you'll get in arguments with friends about today. That first Limp Bizkit album was good. No, it sucks. No, whatever. But he, I think in that one, he says me. That's probably why I have the false memory. Maybe maybe that's where you heard it. I, I did not know where you were going with that. That's uh, that. That, that's that's really funny and, and you know we have talked about this before you know a lot of times producers labels will suggest managers you should cover this huge hit by this band right. because it was a huge hit for them the chances of you having a huge hit with it and it just doesn't always add up that way Limp Biscuit, however you feel about them they put their own spin on it and it became their breakout song so who knows uh, yeah, I, I don't remember George Michael and his saying, get the fuck up, but it, <laughs> but it would have been pretty badass if he did. <laughs> yeah, and, and it makes you wonder what George thought of Limp Bizkit's take on it. Will, we, I, have, I have no idea if that was ever ever on record. That's a great question. Well, the last thing I, I, I will say about, about this song is that the lyric of the chorus, no matter what we think about it, anybody thinks about it, the lyric of the chorus is just undeniably universal. Whether you're yeah. you're not a religious person, you're just spiritual, you got to have faith, or you are a religious person, or, or you're someone that's kind of in the middle. I mean, everyone's always said, "Hey, just got to have a little faith." And who can't get right. who can't get behind that statement? And I think ultimately, that's why this song worked. You know, all all the components together, but that lyric, that chorus lyric, hitting you over and over again with that hook is uplifting, and I, I think that's why it has legs to this day. 
I mean, it had everything, man. It was catchy as hell. It's a relatable lyric. And once again, let's not discredit the fact that George Michael was extremely good looking <laughs> and made this music video that featured him with his stubbly beard and showing his butt and he's wearing this this outfit that still today is cool. Yep. You know, like cool jeans and a cool jacket and he's wearing the, the Ray-Ban uh, aviator glasses and he just looked awesome. Yep. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it that it was the total package with him at that time. People loved him and people wanted to be him, which is so cool. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame he passed at such a young age, 54 years old. Uh, w- wish he was still around to see where he would have went with his music. It's uh, it's a, it's, it's a shame, but uh, I, I, I'm just stoked that I'm able to through, through this show, I'm able to expand my musical my musical palette here. Continuing someone that I missed back in the day, I of course knew who he was, but never dove into his songs like this. And Faith is awesome. And Chris, you know what else is awesome? I don't know what's what else you, is awesome. You, you have no idea. You're telling me you have no idea. George Michael's duet with Elton John of "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me." That's pretty cool too. But I'll tell you something: you can have faith, all our listeners out there, that if you join our supporting cast program over at ChrisDemakes.com, that you will have the time of your life. That's right. You will absolutely have the time of your life. Uh, We have a giant back catalog of bonus episodes. We'll be doing a bonus episode to this episode every week for the price of a Rubik's Cube per month. (laughs) I don't know how much Rubik's Cubes were. From Uh, from 1987. uh, Yeah. From 1987. I'd assume that they're (laughs) a couple bucks. Uh, For the price of a Rubik's Cube in 1987 when this song came out. You can join our supporting cast. You can help us continue making this show that hopefully you love. We're coming back next week on Christmas. Chris makes a podcast with guests once again. I hope everyone's enjoyed this month. I really enjoyed reflecting back on these artists. I learned so much this month. The freaking Freddie Mercury episode, this episode, I know in this episode we kind of bounced all over the place. With how much I've learned about George Michael the last couple days, man, my head felt like I would just bounce it all over the place. But anyway, we like to provide the entertainment and also provide the education on artists. That's right. And for those, uh, I know I already mentioned this earlier, but thanks again to everyone who is part of our Chris Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We got tons of great suggestions for these and and your input has been been, been awesome. So please head over there and, and join if you already haven't. And please give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. And uh, this month's been a blast, Chris. It's been it's been so, so awesome to reflect on, uh, on those artists who aren't with us. Thanks to you, the listeners, for giving us this opportunity. It's been a lot of fun and as chris said uh, we're going to return with guests next week and well into the future but uh yeah thanks to uh, george michael for providing us with this awesome piece of music and may he rest in peace this is the story of whitney houston this is the story of kurt cobain of george michael of otis redding of amy winehouse of michael hutchins bob marley this is the story of prince it's a new podcast series about how they died why they died and why we're still talking about them so long after it's like nothing you've ever heard before it's storytelling but it's more than that because rock stars they tell us how we feel they change our mood they change the clothes we wear the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember. The ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.